water baptized. And one of the things I know about our church is we have, uh, because I've had conversations with people, we have some people that come from Catholic backgrounds. And this is what I'll say. If you were sprinkled as a baby, it's very important for you to be baptized as an adult. Because water baptism is a choice by a person, out of their free will. And again, to be saved, to be born again, you don't need, you know, to enter into heaven. Like if you're, you're driving in your car and you know you're going to get hit by a semi and you don't know Jesus, somebody told you, cry out to Jesus, Jesus save me, you're not going to get to the gate of heaven and Jesus is going to say, well, you didn't get water baptized, see you later. That's not how it works. But Jesus has commanded us in Scripture to be water baptized because it is a public proclamation that I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if, and if, you, need, if you want to be water baptized, fill out a connection card, put on their water baptism, because I'm going to be reaching out to the people who are going to be water baptized to explain how it's going to go. Other thing, uh, child and baby dedication is going to happen April 24th, and some people you know, might ask, well, what is child dedication? So most ch churches do baby dedication when somebody has a baby. We, they bring all the babies up here with the parents. They pray over them, and they, they dedicate the children and the parents. We're going we're gonna to raise the child in the fear of the Lord. But sometimes here's what happens in life. Sometimes people have children, and they don't know Jesus yet. And then, lo and behold, along the way, they come to know Jesus, and they want to dedicate their children unto the Lord if they haven't done that. So what I always say is if a child is under 12 years old and they want to dedicate them to the Lord, they're more than welcome to do that. So what I'm going to encourage you is if you're somebody that's going to be dedicating a baby or a child unto the Lord, please fill out a connection card right on there that you're going to do that, and I'll get in touch with you for instructions of how that's going to work on that day. Also, does anybody in here like pizza? Okay, good. I got a few people because after service today, uh, we're going to be, this is our one-year anniversary we're celebrating today. Yeah. And, you know, I, when I was uh, actually at Spencer Van Etten teaching middle school phys ed, and I was uh, my third year, that following year, I was supposed to be the varsity football coach. And I actually was getting, I had a meeting with the kids from Canner and Spencer and was getting them all ready for the season. And then one day, I'm sitting at my desk in my office, and I, I was, the, the, the desire to go into ministry was growing every day. And I was sitting at my desk, and the Lord whispered in my ear as I was sitting there, he said, would you leave all of this to pastor a small church? And I said, it wasn't audible, it was just a still small voice. And I said to him, okay. I said, how's that going to work? He said, and he just asked me again. And what he was doing was he was setting the stage so that when Joe Green from City Church asked me to be a part-time outreach pastor, that I would leave full-time teaching and everything I was doing. And then through a, a series of an events, we find ourselves here today. Because when God called me, put on my heart to, to plant this church, and the name of the church, the Father's Heart, where that comes from is God always put it on my heart that if he had me plant a church someday, the purpose of that church would be to communicate his heart to a lost and broken generation. And that is really why this church exists. This church exists 
to communicate the heart of the Father to people who don't know him. And so when this church started a year ago, I said to God, I said, planning a church, I know that's all involved because I've been involved with some of them. But I said to the Lord, I said, well, here's a problem. I don't have money. I don't have a building. I don't have everything you need pretty much to start a church. And then he said to me, do you have me? I said, yes, I do. He said, don't worry. He said, if you pray and preach my word, he goes, I'll take care of the rest. And um, over this last year, it's been very incredible what, what God is doing. If somebody asks me, why are people being drawn to the church? Why are they coming? And I'm always going to tell them it's Jesus Christ. It's the hand of God. It's not, it's not because I dress really cool because I don't. It's not because I'm young and charismatic because I'm not. Um, it's because I have learned in my life, if you want to build his kingdom the right way, then simply pray and preach his word without compromise. And, and here's what I know is, is the way that God's called me to preach his word. If you're, if you're here that knew for the first time today, I may say some things and you're going to be like, I can't believe you just said that. And, but the one thing I'll say about Jesus is Jesus was incredibly gentle, but Jesus also, if he needed to, could say something that would cut to the hearts of people and they would be like, their jaws would drop and say, I can't believe he just said that. And um, so today, I, I just want to welcome everybody. If you can't stay after with us, I understand people have lives, they have things going on, but if you want to stay afterward, we're going to have pizza, we're going to have fellowship, we're just going to have a time together. Also, I didn't mention this last week, and I need to say this now. At this time, our kids can be released, but I'm going to say this. From now on, if you have children, when you, when you, uh, regi when you register them at the beginning of service, you can bring them downstairs at 10 minutes before the service starts, and they'll be down there from the beginning. And um, because we, I, I really believe it's very, very important with children that they are in an environment where when they hear about Jesus, when they're experiencing worship, that they can connect with the Lord at their level. And I will say this, if you're a three-year-old, which I have a three-year-old daughter, when a three-year-old has to sit in service with adults, they don't want to sit in service. They want to run over there. They want to run over there. They want to do everything. And I'm like, you know what? Let's put them in an environment. If they want to run around in circles while Jesus' music is playing, God bless them. Have fun. Let's get after it. So uh, the kids at the beginning of service from now on can go downstairs. Our uh, children's ministry workers will be downstairs. Also, for all of you who faithfully give uh, through tithes and offerings sacrificially, I always want to say thank you. Um, I am amazed at what God is financially doing with this church. And if you're here for the first time and you're like, I want to give physically, there's a box in the back. It's got a cross on it. You can give. You can also give online. You can mail things in. But we had our last board meeting. And at our last board meeting, the first 20% of everything that comes in goes right back into missions. And some people that lead churches would say, you only work with 80% of your budget. They'd say, that's insane. I'd say, no, that's God. So within one year of a new church, up to this point, we have given $46,000 to missions. And that, that, again, is a thank you to you, and it happens because of you. It doesn't happen because, again, I'm pulling money out of my pockets. It's just 
when the Holy Spirit moves on somebody's heart to give. And again, Paul writes, God loves a cheerful giver, so you should never be guilted into giving. If you feel guilted, i got to put money in, then don't give God anything. But when God moves on your heart and you begin to give, this is what happens. When you, are, when you give him the first part of what comes into your house and you are faithful to give and you respond to the Holy Spirit, then what you have left to work with, he is going to bless and he is going to multiply. And let me tell you, you're better off with 90% of what you have with the blessing of God than 100% with the blessing of God not on it. And that's the difference when people begin to make tithing and giving and and just being generous a part of their life, God will bless them over an abundance of anything they can imagine. So again, I never want to go beyond uh, saying thank you. But it's been been an interesting week. Um, My wife and I have been to Disney World I think I personally have been there 20 times. I'm somebody who really loves Marvel movies. And they've pretty much ruined the whole thing for me. And there's going to be some things that I'm going to talk about today when it has to come with lying deception. Because one of the things that's very, very important to understand about Satan is Satan is as real as I'm standing in front of you. And he's not a guy with a pitchfork and red horns. Honestly, I'm not saying he is this person, but if I could picture Satan of what he actually looked like, have you ever seen a picture of Gavin Newsom? That's honestly slick back hair, silver tongue, charisma. That's what Satan would look like. And he is, he's incredibly intelligent. He's incredibly scheming. And what he wants more than anything is the hearts of children. And he understands he will come after a child as young as he wants to. And all he has to do is he has to plant a lie inside of them. And if there is not a parent, if there is not a grandparent who knows biblical truth, who can begin to combat what's going on, that child can begin to be taken capture of by the enemy. Because, see, the way that Satan captures people is not like this. He doesn't show up and say, hey, I'm the devil. I want you to do this. That's not how he works. How he works is he whispers through the ears, he speaks through the eyes, and all he has to do is he has to plant seeds. And when those seeds go into the hearts of people, they will begin to bring destruction. And this is when we look today, looking at Galatians 5, 7 through 15, and as we've gone through Galatians, what we are looking at is we are looking at a spiritual father who is beside himself hearing about what's going on with his spiritual children, that they would abandon everything they have, what Jesus did at Calvary, to try to follow the law according to their own self-works, to try to earn righteousness. And Paul is beside himself because in Christ, liberty and freedom is a very, very precious thing. In this nation... We value freedom and liberty. And here's what blows my mind about people my age and younger. There's people in this country who say that socialism and communism is a really good idea. And I say to them, you may want to study the history of Joseph Stalin. 
You may want to study the history of Mussolini. You may want to study the history of Adolf Hitler and find out what happens when you give up your freedom and liberty and you allow the government to control everything. When man is in power and man doesn't have any checks and balances, you end up with tyranny, and instead of living in freedom, you live in slavery. And the other thing to understand about freedom is freedom is never free. None of us are able to live in America in freedom just because somebody said, okay, freedom's a good idea, so let's all be free. When this nation began under our founding fathers, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, most of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, their houses were burned down, some of them were killed, they suffered in incredible ways because what they were doing is they were signing a declaration against the British Empire to say, you no longer own us, we are the United States of America and we are free. And they all suffered because of that. And then, not only that, but throughout our history, every freedom we enjoy was bought and it was kept by the blood of soldiers who have died on some field where nobody has seen them, but they knew the cost of freedom and they laid down their lives because they knew what freedom cost. And we know how much freedom is valuable in this country, but here's the thing. The freedom that Jesus offers is even greater. And that freedom was purchased by His blood. And when anybody looks at what Jesus has done and they reject it and they try to either earn their way to God through their good works or if they try to look at the Jewish law that has 613 laws and they're like, I'm going to do this through my self-efforts, what they are saying to Jesus is, what you did doesn't mean anything, it's not valuable, I don't need it and I don't want it. And here's the problem with that. If somebody does that, when they stand before him someday, when there is nobody and it's just them and Jesus, Jesus is going to look into the depths of their soul and he's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. Because the reality of heaven and hell is this. Heaven is very real. Heaven is as real as the room we're standing in now. And you know what? If you think you know what heaven is like and how good heaven is, you can't even comprehend it. The beauty, the majesty, when we get into heaven someday and we're in heaven and we're looking around and then all of a sudden we see the Apostle Paul and we see Peter and we see Moses. We could say to Moses, you want to sit down and have a talk? It's like, sure. And you're like, can you tell me about the Red Sea? And then Moses can tell you what he went through and everything he was thinking. And, and there's going to be no pain, there's going to be no sadness, there's going to be no tears, there's going to be no disease, there's going to be no wickedness. The streets are going to be paved with gold because you know why? God, when you're in the presence of God, gold has no value. And that's the beauty of heaven. And God created heaven. And God loves us so much that he sent his only son who, who came to this earth without sin, died an incredible death, took the wrath that we deserve, but he did it all because he loves us. But here's the other side of this, because so many people, they love to hear about heaven, but they're like, preacher, don't start talking about hell. But here's the reality of hell. Just as we cannot conceive how good heaven is, we cannot conceive how horrible the lake of fire is. Because really think about this. Think about for a person who rejects Jesus Christ throughout their life, 
and they stand before him someday. And he says to them, and, and I'm sure Jesus is going to go over with them all the times the gospel was presented to them and all the times they rejected it. And Jesus is going to say to them, away from me, I never knew you. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen at that point, but my interpretation is that there's probably going to be one angel or two angels that is going to grab that individual. And as that individual is screaming because they see what's in front of them, they're going to lock them in in a cage. And they're going to throw them into the depths of the lake of fire. And the only ones that will be there to hear them for the rest of eternity, because they won't be able to reach God, is those that are suffering with them. And it will be darkness and being burned alive and a pain and suffering we can't even imagine. And I always tell people, if you want to know how horrible hell is, simply look at Calvary. Because everything you see that Jesus went through at Calvary, Jesus having his back and his body opened as he was being scourged, Jesus being rejected, and Jesus being humiliated by the Roman soldiers as they shoved a crown of thorns in his head, put a purple robe on him. Jesus, as he walked the hill of Golgotha, and his body was so broken that halfway up he couldn't carry the cross anymore, and they had to get Simon the Cyrene to come out and carry his cross. And then as, he, as he, they laid him on the ground, and they stretched out his hands, they nailed nails in his hands and his feet. And I'm not talking about the nails you put up a picture with. These nails were probably about that thick. And every time they put it into his hands, and every time they hit a hammer, it would send shockwaves through his body. And as they lifted him up, his entire body weight hung there. He had never sinned, never done anything wrong. He looked over this crowd of people who were mocking him and crying out, crucify him, and they thought it was a whole party and everything else. And Jesus looked at them with tears in his eyes because everything that Jesus wants for humanity is to be reconciled with Almighty God. And everything the devil wants is to kill, to steal, and destroy. And Satan's number one agenda is to turn hearts and lives away from Jesus Christ. And that's what he was doing and what Paul was dealing with in Galatians. Because these people are believers. They are, they are believers, born-again believers in Jesus Christ. They know who Jesus is. They have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's live inside of them. And through these lies and deceptions of these Judaizers... The enemy is trying to get these people to abandon the hope they have in Christ for their own self-efforts. And it is a terrible, terrible thing when a person is under the belief that I have to earn God's love. There's some Christians, because, because think about this, the culture that we live in, whatever you want to achieve in our culture, you have to earn. You have to work for so if I'm in a company and I want to move up the corporate ladder and someday I want to be a president, someday I want to be a CEO, I have to work it really, really hard, put in extra hours and work my way up that ladder. And here's the other thing. The sad fact a lot of times of a lot of families is there's a lot of kids that grow up in homes where they have to earn their parents' love. And if their kid doesn't get certain grades in school or they're not the starting quarterback or they don't start on the soccer team or they're not the head musician, then no matter what that child does, the parent looks at them and says it's not good enough. And that child lives all their life trying to earn their loves of their parents. And it didn't matter what they would do, they would never be truly loved. And here's the thing. 
These type of mindsets that are developed as we are kids, as we grow up in a world that is broken, is filled with sin, we bring these mindsets into a relationship with Almighty God. And we think that if He's really going to love me, it's based on my performance. But it's not. Because He knows how broken we are. He knows how much sin devastates us. And He knows that if His love for us was based on our performance and our behavior, there is no way that we could do it. But He simply says to us, come to, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, there has to come a point in a person's life where they bring the broken pieces of their life to Jesus, and they simply say to Jesus, I don't want to do this anymore. And then Jesus says to them, now we can start with the journey I have for you. Because, see, as long as you and I are getting in the way of what God wants to do, and we're white-knuckling it, and we're like, God, I'm going to make this happen. In the first service, I said to them, a lot of Christians come to Jesus, and they come like this in prayer. What they do is they, they come up with a plan, and they think to themselves, okay, this is a really good plan. So they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, this is my plan. I want you to help me do this. And Jesus says, yeah, that might look good to you, but that's not going to work. No, Jesus, I want you to do my plan. I want you to, to help me do this. And Jesus is like, listen, I am not only your Savior, I am your Lord. And what that means is the moment you decide to follow me, your dreams, your desire, your will no longer belong to you. They belong to me. And if you will surrender your life to me, if you will rely on me, if you will lay everything down at the foot of the cross, then everything you do in, in your life according to my will, my hand will be upon you and the impossible will become possible. So we're going to look at this and continue today with Galatians 5, 7 through 15. And as we get into this today, I, um, I just want to pray always for the Lord and his leading when we look at his word. Because... One of the things, you know, I, I was telling the first service, Friday night when I was here, and I prayed, I pray daily for everybody that's physically in this room and people that watch online. And here's the number one thing I pray for you as a congregation, is that you would intimately know Christ and his kingdom would increase in your life. Now, I'm going to tell you why sometimes that's a tough prayer as a pastor. Because sometimes when I pray that you would intimately know Christ. Sometimes, people that I'm pastoring, they're going in a direction God doesn't want them to, so God lets them hit rock bottom. And then all of a sudden, they come to me, and they're like, Pastor, I don't know what's going on with my life. I'm going through all this stuff. And a lot of times, the whole purpose is God's trying to get your attention because there's things that have taken its place. And, and so many times in America, it's very easy to allow things to take God's place. So my, my hope for all of you, whenever we spend Sundays here, you get involved in a life group, you get involved in any of the classes, my hope and your goal, I really hope so, is that you will come away and just say, I want to know Jesus in a greater way. I want to live my life for him. Because when you give your life fully to Jesus Christ, everything changes. So let's pray today and we're going to just take a look uh, at this passage of scripture. So Father, I just thank you. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing in this church. I thank you for what you're doing in the earth. 
Father, even though there are people that are leading nations that, Father, at times it seems they're foolish and incompetent, you have a purpose in it. And Father, I pray for every leader. I pray for Vladimir Putin. I pray for Zelensky. I pray for Joe Biden. I pray for Kamala Harris. Father, I pray for Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. I pray for Gavin Newsom, Lord God. And I pray for Catherine Hochul and people all across this earth who are in positions of leadership. Father, I just simply pray whatever your will is, it be done in their hearts. And that, Father, that you would have your way. But Father, today as we look at your scriptures, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak in this place. I pray that you would have your way in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Galatians 5, 7 through 15, for those of you uh, who are maybe new, you're wondering what Bible translation are we reading out of, uh, New King James Version is what we're looking out of. I would also encourage you, as I said this before, whether it's electronically or it's physically, I would encourage you to bring this with you. And here's why I would tell you to tend towards a physical Bible, because when you're reading a physical Bible, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you can underline something, you can write in it, and if you didn't know, it's okay to write in your Bibles. Okay? Some people are like, my Bible's sacred, all I'm going to do is kiss it. Listen, this right here is the playbook for life, man. So when God's speaking to you, write stuff down. I always tell people, when I look at somebody's Bible and it's worn out, things falling apart, I'm like, that person knows God. So I'm going to encourage you to bring your Bibles whenever you come to church or anything that's going on. So in Galatians 5, starting in verse 7, it says, You ran well. This is Paul speaking to the Galatians. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Now, one thing to understand about Paul. Paul is not asking a question because he doesn't know what's going on. He knows what's going on. But what he's doing is when he asks these questions, he's trying to draw their attention to something to show them the fallacy of what they're doing. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. One thing that's important to understand, if something does not come from Jesus Christ, then it's coming from the devil. It's important. As Christians, we are either following the Holy Spirit or we're following the spirit of this age, the God of this world who is the devil, who for this period of time is allowed to do things. But just understand, if what we believe is not based on this, it's based on lies and deceptions. And when you build your life on lies and deceptions, God could have the most amazing plan for you, but you will be robbed of it because of lies and deceptions. Paul says, a little leaven works through the whole lump. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? then the offense of the cross has ceased. If you didn't know this either, the cross of Jesus Christ is meant to offend. It is either meant to offend people to salvation or it is meant to offend them to reject who he is. When, when Jesus Christ is properly preached, people will either say, yes, I'm on board with Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need salvation. I'm wretched without God. And then other people will say, this God you're talking about, this Jesus Christ you're talking about, it's closed-minded, it's narrow, it's hateful. Whatever you're talking about, it can't be God because he doesn't love people because people go to hell. No, God loves people because he's actually given you an opportunity to spend eternity with him. Because the important thing to understand about God is God didn't have to save any of us. God has every right to say to all humanity because of sin, they're all going to go to hell. 
But God in his grace, God in his mercy, loved us enough that he sent his son to die for us. So it says, then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. And this is why Paul brings this up. These Judaizers are saying, you need to follow the law. If you don't follow the law, you're righteous. And Paul says, well, that entire thing is fulfilled in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love your neighbor as yourself and you love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the entire law is fulfilled and you are living how God has called you to live. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So let's, let's take a look at this. Let's unpack this. And one of the things when, when I am praying and I'm seeking God and, putting in the, and trying to write down and put together thoughts of what he would have you share with me, because I'm going to be honest with you. Whenever I get up to preach, it's a terrifying thing for me because I know that in myself I'm not qualified to do this. And I also know that when I stand up and I preach God's word, every word that comes out of my mouth, I am going to be judged by Jesus Christ himself. So when I spend time during the week praying, I ask God, in my humility, I confess to him, I cannot do this, please guide me. And it's the same thing when I get up and preach because my desire is that when people walk in the doors of this church, they are not hearing the heart of Dave Campbell Jr. They are hearing the heart of Almighty God to a generation that is getting prepared for his return. So when I, when I study God's word, one of the things I always look for is I look for principles. Because God's kingdom is built on principles. And, and, and when I talk about principles, what I am talking about is how is what God is writing and God is speaking to, a, to a, a, a people at this time, how does that apply to me who I'm living in the 20, whatever, 21st century? How does this apply to me? Because some people would say today, that Bible you have is really old, it's outdated, it doesn't mean anything. It's fantasy, it's nonsense, it's nothing, it's fairy tales. And the sad truth of that is, is, Here's the, here's the amazing thing also about God. Do you know God never gave us his word to prove that he exists? When you read the word, it's already accepted that there is a God. And the only way that you and I can understand what's written on these pages, and God has done this for a reason, is you have to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And see, the way that God deals with the wicked ultimately is he gives them over to their sin. That's how a God of grace and mercy looks at a person. And I'll be honest with you, right now, in the halls of the U.S. government, there's some people that have a debased mind. There's some people that have already been given over to their sin. When they die, they're going to die, and they're going to go to the lake of fire. But God, even in the midst of their self-destructive tendencies to destroy the United States, through all of it, God is working and God has a purpose. Because two of the accounts in the Bible that I believe right now are pertinent to America at this time in history is the Red Sea and Goliath. Because when you look at the Red Sea, Moses stood in front of the Red Sea. It looked like an impossible circumstance. We're not going to get across the Red Sea. 
The, the Egyptians are on our necks. We're all going to be destroyed. We're here at the Red Sea. Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? Then all of a sudden, when it is God's divine timetable, not according to man, not because man says to God, you've got to do something, but God always shows up and always sets the stage for his glory. God simply said to Moses, raise your staff. Let me tell you, Moses had seen the power of God, but he had never seen the Red Sea separate. And when Moses simply, because he was a man of humility and God had prepared him, he lifted his staff. I don't know what that experience was like, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit moved through that water and they separated into two large walls. And Moses is just looking at this going. And then all the people that are crying and complaining about Egypt, all of a sudden forget about Egypt and they're just like, holy cow. The other one is Goliath. Goliath, for 40 days, came down into the valley, and he taunted the armies of Israel. And understand, Goliath knew what he was doing. Goliath was not only taunting Israel, he was taunting their God, because Goliath was influenced by Satan. And Goliath looked at himself, just like Satan looked at himself in heaven as Lucifer, Goliath looked at himself, looked at his power, looked at his strength, and said, whatever puny human being you send out here, I'm going to crush him. Goliath was a man of war. He had killed many, many men before. And then all of a sudden, this little shepherd boy, who's 16 years old, comes out and looks at him. And Goliath is like, what? But see, David looked at Goliath and he thought to himself, I'm going to kill you. Because it didn't matter the size of David. It was the God that David was serving. And see, I believe in all of my heart, as I pray over this country, that God is not done yet. And I would encourage every person, you might be somebody who says, what can I do when you look at the corruption, when you look at the deceit, when you look at Washington and you think to yourself, what can I do with all of this wickedness? I would tell you that prayer is far more powerful than you understand. And I would encourage you to pray. So as I was looking over this passage of Scripture, the first principle, and this is an important one, is when we are moving in the direction and plan God has for us, the enemy will try to derail us through lying deception. And, you know, a lot of times when you look at humanity, let's just take people who are lost, for instance. People that are lost, who don't know Jesus at all, when they're born on this earth, they're born into sin. They're, they're a descendant of Adam and Eve. Adam, once they sin in the garden, every single person carries the sin nature with them. So every single person, before they know Jesus, as they begin to grow, and one of the ways you know sin exists within humanity, spend time with a three-year-old and see if they know how to share if you have to teach them how to share. Most, most three-year-olds are very, very selfish, and they're like, that's mine, this is mine, that's mine. you got to teach them how to share. But as we grow up in this world, we go through all types of experiences, and there are things that we are drawn to before we know Jesus Christ. Some people are drawn to alcohol. Some people are drawn to drugs. Some people are drawn to pornography. Some people are drawn to sex of all kinds. Whatever it is, if things are outside of the Word of God, contrary to the Word of God, it's sin. Because what sin does is it means to miss the mark. So the way that Satan keeps people in bondage, he keeps them in prison, he destroys their life, is through lie, deception, and temptation. So the way he hooks somebody is he presents a temptation. And so they look at this temptation, it looks really, really good. I mean, people, most people you talk to 
who get involved in drug addiction, when they first get involved with drugs, it's really exciting. It's really awesome. Going to parties, getting hammered, doing all this stuff. Then there comes a point when the drug addiction takes control of them. And then all of a sudden, they lose control of their life. They can't get away from it. They become a slave of the drug addiction. So the, Satan hooks people with temptation. The next thing he does is he does lies and deceptions. This is where I'm going to bring up Disney. Here is how you bankrupt an entire generation of their God-given purposes. You get them to reject the way they're created. And here's how you do it. It's not very hard. Satan understands this. And what Satan did with Disney is he understands Disney is driven by greed. And whenever the love of money exists, there's going to be wickedness. So through a series of events, different executives got into power. And when they're in power, they're making a lot of money. Everything that about Disney draws kids to Disney. Then Satan begins to speak into their hearts and minds. I want you to begin to subtly incorporate messages about homosexuality, about transgender. I just want you to put these in subtly. And this is how, they, because this is how you capture humanity. It's not like you just put it out there so we see it like, I don't want this. You just do it subtly. Like I give an example. The Beauty and the Beast movie. That was the live action movie. The character that was with Gaston, actually, in the movie, it's very subtle, but there's a scene towards the end where he has attraction towards another man. Now, here's, here's what Satan does with kids. And this can happen to kids when they're three, when they're four, when they're five, when they're six. And when, do, when parents are watching Disney movies and cartoons, and trust me, I've been to Disney 20 times, I love Marvel movies, all of those things, most people, when they grow up loving Disney, their kids watch Disney movies. That's what happens most times in America. So what happens is, as they introduce these characters into these movies, and a kid's watching movies, and they're sitting there and they're watching movies, it's sending messages to them. And then this is all Satan has to do when that child is by themselves. Let's say that child is a boy. When there's nobody in the room, and it's just that boy, and he's sitting there, and six five, seven years old, there's a thought that comes into his mind. Am I really a boy? And it just takes one, one thought. And then all of a sudden, that thought becomes a record. And it plays over, and it plays over. And then all of a sudden, when that thought plays over and over again, maybe the thought, maybe it's a, maybe it's a boy, and as he gets older, all of a sudden, the enemy tempts them with same-sex attraction. And he, see, here's the thing about truth. Because in that home, if there is not a parent who is led by the Spirit, who knows the Word of God, who loves their child compassionately, and here's the important thing. If, if your children struggle with these things, the, the, uh, the go-to is not to come down on them and say, I can't believe you're doing this, and just like cast them out of the, cast them out of the house. Because, see, we have a whole generation of people that have no idea who they are because they're immersed in lie and deception. They have, there's so many kids walking around halls in high schools and you look into their eyes and you can see the depths of confusion. And you know what? Here's the problem. If as a pastor, as a person who preached God's word, if I just come up to them 
and I have no love, no compassion, and I just hammer them with the word of God, and I argue with them about their lifestyle, they're going to look at me. They're not only not going to want to talk to me, but what they're going to associate is they're going to say, then whatever God you serve does not love me. And see, the only way a person, when they're on a journey, when they're moving in a direction, the 